Hello everyone, my name is Arti and this is the Mahabharata. Episode 19, Wedding Season and Gandhari. In our last episode, we did some housekeeping, sorting through miscellaneous issues gathering for weeks in a corner heap. For example, why Satyavati was afflicted with malodorosity. This, we learned, involves two birds tussling over King Vasu's precious V.E., which slithered mucilaginously off a leaf into the gills of a fish swimming miles below. A fish who, actually an Apsara, had coincidentally been cursed to bear two human children, a wondrous concatenation of events still trending on Twitter. The girl child smelled less than rosy, so one whiff of her and she's donated by her father to the Fisher Chief, who raises her as his own daughter. So now we've learned that Satyavati is what many want to be, a princess. But there's no role for stinky princesses on the diplomatic roster, so it's easy to understand why she'd leap at even a Faustian bargain if it offered some relief to her problem. We also learned why the god Dharma was cursed to spend a lifetime in a human body. This was on account of the curse of the Rishi Ani Mandavya, so-called because he literally had a stick stuck up his nether orifice in retribution for a childhood hobby of inserting foreign objects into the anal cavities of bugs. When Rishi A.M. learned of the charges against him, he cursed the god Dharma to be born on earth to the slave girl who had so delighted Vyasa with her sexual ministrations. So she is blessed with our studious youngest child, Vidura. Today we're moving on to our boys. With the birth of Dhritarashtra, Pandu and Vidura, the land of the Kurus prospered. The crops stood high, the harvests were plentiful, the rain god reigned in season, trees bore abundant fruit, draught animals loved their burdens, the deer and the antelope played, dogs learned to poop in the toilet, there was always a seat on the subway and tax returns came without filing. In short, it was the best of times. The boys are raised by Bhishma. He arranges for their sacraments, teaches them archery, oversees equestrian skill development and special forces combat training, teaches them the fine points of statecraft. In the morning they study, in the afternoon they compete in sporting and debating tournaments. When the time comes for crowning a king, however, there's only one viable contender. Dhritarashtra is disqualified because of his disability. Vidura was never an option on account of his low birth. Pandu is installed as king. One day, Bhishma summons Vidura. You and I, Vidura, but especially you, must always ensure the well-being of this dynasty. So we have to think strategically about alliances. They brainstorm ideas for marriage prospects. What do you think of King Subala's daughter from Gandhar? 
It's a very wealthy country, and the alliance would be good for us, would give us a foothold in the north. Let's look at the pros and cons, says Vidra, and he goes to the board. It's far. That seems like a negative, but could actually be to our advantage. Gives us influence, but no competition. I've heard the girl is pious and of good character, Bhishma chimes, but her brother's meddlesome, counters Vidra, but Bhishma waves that off. We can handle that. Will they be okay with Dee's blindness? Vidra asks. Bhishma bristles at this. Why shouldn't they be? We're a very powerful kingdom. Could crush ten like him. He'd be lucky to associate with us. They reflect further. Bhishma remembers something. On the prose side, I've also heard that the girl has a boon from the god Shiva for a hundred sons. That's a small army right there, and we'll never again have to worry about not having an heir to the throne. And you know the favour of Shiva's nothing to sneeze at. Look at what he did to Parg when Parg dissed him at Daksha's sacrifice. He blinded him, blinded the god of destiny. That kind of firepower we want on our side. Done, says Vidura. He puts a check against the name of the Gandhar princess. What's her name? No clue, says Bhishma, with some irritation. They call her the girl from Gandhar, which, Vidura, make a note for a public announcement that people have to start getting more specific with their names. The dark guy from the island, the girl from Gandhar. Seriously? I'm constantly fielding complaints from postmen. And as to the telephone directories, they're a mess. And that's not to mention census takers, law enforcement agencies, the FBI. Where's all the creativity gone? I hear you, says Vidura. The world's going to hell. They return to the list. Okay, next we have Kunti Bhoja's daughter of the Yadava clan. What do we think of her? Does she have a name? Prita, says Vidura, means handful. That could be a problem. Goes by Kunti. Hmm, Kunti, says Bhishma. What do we know? Well, She's actually the daughter of King Shura, father of Vasudeva, but he had promised his cousin that he would give him his firstborn child because Kunti Bhoja had no children. No idea why. So just as grandma was adopted by the Fisher King, Kunti is the adopted daughter of King Kunti Bhoja. Interesting, says Pishma. So she draws in two households, Kunti Bhoja's and Vasudeva's. Could be good for Pandu. And that would set us up in the Near East and in the West. There's also the Madra girl, younger but not bad. Vidura flips through the files. G or M? Try M. Madras. Got it. You're right. No name there either. Just the Madra girl because there's only one. He flips over the file. From the Near Northwest. Hmm. They're very wealthy. Of course they are, grunts Bhishma. Have you seen the bride price? It's like the mafia. Well, on the pro side, that would give us influence on the north, the northwest, and the near east. And mothers Ambika and Ambalika are from Kashi, so we're already well positioned in the east. They consider the options. So who do we take? Kunti or Madri? Bhishma throws up his hands. You know what? Why choose? We'll take them both. Kunti can be the primary queen, Madhuri second. 
Decisions are made and they wrap up. I have someone in mind for you as well, don't worry, Bhishma assures Vidura affectionately as they part. You're younger, so we have some time. I trust you, says Vidura, and marriage proposals commence. The last set of marriages overseen by Bhishma had been dramatic. Remember, he'd signed on for the Kashi princess's Vayamvara, which reminded us of the odious rose ceremony of the odious bachelorette. Then he'd upended the entire show by outright abducting the bride, leading to high drama on the highway, causing a four-hour shutdown in the middle of Russia. This time, perhaps because Bhishma's older now, or perhaps because Vidura's influence, they proceed through diplomatic channels. Emissaries are dispatched with proposals, negotiations ensue, bride price is fixed, and finally, we can book the caterers. Vidura, a bastard, is also married, paired with a King Devaka's bastard daughter, because, as we've learned, the Mahabharata fetishizes symmetry. As it says in the Kama Sutra, horses are best paired with horses, bastards with bastards. Or is that rabbits with rabbits? Let's talk about Dhritarashtra's bride-to-be, Gandhari. There you are, finally at the coveted corner desk after how many years as an FBI behavioural analyst? You've got your feet up, taking a well-deserved donut break from the mind-bending case of the writer, editor, shadowy character, ascetic, Brahmin, inseminator, philosopher, cursor, all-around busybody, curiously named Krishna of the island, and you get another file dropped on your desk, the girl from Gandhar. Oh, come on, you say, I'm not even finished with my first guy. And then, glancing at the file, the girl from Gandhar? Seriously? Doesn't she have a name? Time-sensitive, says the boss meaningfully, tapping on his imaginary watch as he leaves. You sigh. The Vyasa file is scattered all over your desk, on the floor and halfway down the back stairs as you try to construct the chronology. Now you have to gather it all up carefully, grumbling. Months of painstaking work, you yell at nobody in particular. I'll have to do it all over again. Back to the whiteboard. Girl from Gandhar. You scribble everything you know. Left column, fact. Right column, deduction. On the left, from Afghanistan. On the right, a gritty, tough, Proud people, rugged like the landscape, strong, indomitable. Think what happened to the British, the Russians, the Americans. One side of your head says ethnic profiling. The other side shrugs. We're the FBI. Left, the cold north. Right, stoic, resilient. Left, princess. Right, headstrong. Left, as a child, worshipped Shiva. Shiva, Shiva. You start reading Wendy Doniger's Shiva the Erotic Ascetic. Then on the right, Shiva, a badass antinomian figure, lives in rugged mountain spaces of passionate commitment and love to his wife Sati, grief over whose death leads him to near destroy the world, 
remains celibate until Sati comes again in the form of Parvati, who furthermore can only win his interest by going toe-to-toe with him on the highest grades of asceticism. And, this seems pertinent, destroyer of the world. Circle in red, this is her deity of choice. Left, favours Shiva's form as Bhaganitrahar. Bhaga what? Start reading Hiltabaitl's Draupadi's Real Horse in a pre-publication proof the authors kindly shared with you. Bhaganitrahar. This is an epithet for Shiva, referring to the episode where he blinded the god of destiny, Bhaga, because Bhaga pissed him off. This seems relevant. On the right, worships the destroyer in his form where he maims the god of destiny. Asterisk, fearless of destiny. On the left, earns a boon for 100 sons. On the right, as a 14-year-old, wanted an army of sons. What kind of teenage girl wants an army? Hmm, a special girl from Gandhar. That's who. Now you can't stop thinking about her. You wake up in the middle of the night and scribble on your nightpad. Total enigma. 20 minutes later, of audacity and determination. 5 minutes later, child prodigy. The kind that practices a violin 18 hours a day, triple flips 80 hours a week. How else do you get such a boon from Shiva while still a teenager? Only through Olympian will. 3 a.m. you scribble... Undaunted, precocious, tenacious, Simone Weil, Madonna, Rosa Parks, Durga Kali, Anna Pavlova, Wamulan, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Finally, 5 a.m., megaton of dynamite packaged in silk. You throw the covers off, your brain's on fire, and you're ready to make your case. The Mahabharata tells us very little about Gandhari. Here's what we hear. Bhishma chose her for Dhritarashtra because she'd received a boon of 100 sons from Shiva, who had blinded the god of destiny, Bhag. So Bhishma dispatches emissaries with a proposal. Gandhari's father, King Subala, hesitated because Dhritarashtra was blind, but then weighing in his mind lineage, fame, morality, and perhaps Bhishma's history with previous contested marriage proposals, he betrothed her to Dhritarashtra without any consultation with her. When Gandhari learned secondhand that her parents had chosen a blind man to be her husband, she took an extraordinary step. She took a scarf, folded it over a few times, and vowing fidelity to her husband, blindfolded herself, resolving she would never experience more than her husband could. What might you do if you got a text message from a maid in the assembly hall informing you that your parents had arranged your marriage to a blind man? They didn't come to you to discuss... Look, darling, marriage is a sacrament and a man's disability is a misfortune but doesn't make him a lesser man. Rather, they conducted the negotiations in your absence, signed, witnessed and notarized, dispatched the return messenger and apparently just forgot to tell you. 
If you're a girl from Gandhar who's performed Olympian feats of devotion to Shiva in his most defiant form, where he's literally poked destiny in the eye to assume command of a scene where he's going to destroy everything before him, if this is your deity of choice and your devotions to him have earned you an army of a hundred sons, this has got to be a challenging moment. On the one hand, perhaps you resent your parents for not even consulting you. On the other, you see the work of destiny, marrying you to a blind man. So what do you do? Maybe you take a blindfold and you cheat destiny of its power. You think you decide my fate, you say? I'll create my own future. Is it virtue? Is it defiance? Is it loyalty? Is it rage? Maybe it's all of those things. But what we have for sure is our girl from Gandhar, probably no more than 18, from the moment that she hears the news secondhand, resolves never to see again. She will never look at her parents again. She will never lay eyes on her blind husband. Her marriage will happen in darkness, as will her life. Her army of sons will go unseen. Blind destiny chose a blind man for her. And she, the favoured of Shiva, has blinded herself to the future it presumed to choose. That future will end with a carnival of destruction to, in every measure, parallel Shiva's destruction of Daksha's sacrifice, where he blinds the god of destiny, Bhaga. But there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, and we are in wedding season. So next time, let's talk about Pritha, the handful, better known as Kunti, the mother of the Pandavas, if you'll join me for another episode of the Mahabharata. <laughs>